0: The following sermon is by Hunter Hayes, Associate Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcraleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Hunter. Did you know that 41% of Americans make New Year's resolutions every year? Are you surprised, is that lower than you thought or higher than you thought? And did you know that after one week, 75% of people who made New Year's resolutions are still successful at keeping their resolutions? So by now, if you're one of those who makes resolutions, you know if you're in the 75% or the 25%. Because we're a week in, you can do the math, you can do the calculations yourself. But don't fret if you're not perfect, because the same study that found that 75% are still keeping their New Year's resolutions this week Uh, also found that only 9% are successful at keeping it all the way through the year. Only 9%. A new year gives us a fresh start and allows us to rethink our goals and priorities. And so I think many of us have thought about making New Year's resolutions, like eat healthier or lose weight or save money or something along those lines. Read the Bible all the way through, hopefully if if you're a good Christian, you know. You, you have some spiritual thoughts like that every now and then. Um, did you know that those who make a New Year's resolution of, of that group of people, 52% are confident from the beginning when they make it that they'll be able to keep it all the way through. That's only half. So let that sink in for a second. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about the discrepancy between the 52% who are confident in success and the 9% who actually do, but even more significantly... Uh, roughly half of the people who make resolutions uh, don't actually think they'll be able to keep it. So what on earth is a resolution if you're not actually resolved to keep it? It's a funny, it's a funny word we have these days. It's, it's sort of cheapened itself, I think. Um, but regardless of our ability or our confidence in uh, keeping with our goals and staying motivated, I do think that the process of making New Year's resolutions uh, can be a helpful one. I've done it before. And whether you're the type of person who, uh, you know, makes a New Year's resolution or not, I think you can appreciate that the new year does give us a a time to have a fresh sense of opportunity, a fresh sense of reform, and recommitment, rededication to our goals and aspirations. So last November we had an election, and, uh, you know, many of us went to... Uh, elect leaders um, that we hoped would uh, maybe enact some kind of reform in this country. Did you know that this last week, the U.S. House of Representatives, the newly elected one, had a slight change, slight shift in power as of as a result of the election last November, and it just convened this last week. And did you know that this Wednesday coming up, uh, our own North Carolina State General Assembly will convene, and so. You know, Many of us might be thinking, oh, okay, we'd like to see something new, we'd like to see reforms, we'd like to see change, uh, or maybe you like how things are going and maybe you just want everything to stay the same. I'd say uh, no matter what side of the aisle on, you're probably not in that boat, but um, you know, it's possible. But anyhow, in this season of renewal and reform, since we're here, I think it's appropriate to talk about this, um, I want us to consider what are the necessary ingredients for success in our endeavors. So how can we be assured that our efforts uh, will not be in vain this year and that we can look back on 2023 as a year of great fruitfulness, great spiritual productivity? And this is something that we need to think about both as a church and as individuals before God. So as an instructive example for us, I want us to uh, consider the life of a king from Israel's line He was a a Judahite king whose story I'm very fond of. His name is King Asa, and we find an extended description of his reign during the period of the divided monarchy in 2 Chronicles 14 through 16. So please turn there with me, 2 Chronicles chapter 14, and we're going to look at this together. I wish I could point to King Asa's life and just simply say, be like King Asa. You want to find success in following the Lord, you want to be faithful. Just do what Asa did. He was a good king. But as we'll see, it's not quite that simple because Asa's life Asa's reign as the head of the three theocratic kingdom in Israel. That's a big word. The the kingdom that was supposed to have Yahweh as its true king. The king is just a, a regent in his place. His reign has two different sides to it, as we'll see, okay? There are two opposite and nearly parallel sides, uh, one that shows much promise and success and the other showing terrible decline. He was a king who exemplified wholehearted trust in and commitment to Yahweh, and he also displayed faithfulness, or faithlessness, rather, and disregard for the God of Israel. And at one time, he stood as a model of righteousness, the, king of righte- the kind of righteousness that would elevate and exalt the king. And at another time, he sank into the pit of obscurity to find his responsibility as ruler of the covenant people. So let us now look and glean from the example of King Asa together and let us understand how to be faithful in our walk, and let's start by examining the King Asa of incredible success. I'm gonna give you four principles to emulate that characterize the faithful walk, and we'll also see their antithesis in these chapters. So let's just start in 2 Chronicles 14, uh, 1 through eight. So let me read that now. Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa his son reigned in his place. In his days the land had rest for 10 years, And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherim and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars and the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord, our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin, that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. So the first principle, or the first thing we're gonna seek to emulate in King Asa, and the first characteristic that we're gonna see as part of his incredible success that the Lord grants him as ruler of Israel, is that he sought to do the Lord's will according to his, his word. He sought to do the Lord's will according to his word. And here we see in, in just these first eight verses, the outworking of the Mosaic law, which was to govern Israel and its kings. We see it working and operating the way it's supposed to. So Israel had been instructed uh, in, in the days of Moses to lay waste to the idols and the, the holy places of the nations that they went into to dispossess. They were to eradicate the foreign worship and seek Yahweh alone as their only God. And to worship him with all of their heart and not have any part of them given to these other gods and other idols um, that the people around them would be practicing. Uh, they were com- completely to, uh, to smash and destroy and get rid of it. There was no, um, well, you know, you can kind of do your thing and we'll just do our thing. No, it's we're gonna get rid of that. We're gonna replace it entirely with worship of the true God because there's only one God and he is Yahweh. And by relying on Yahweh alone, The people would experience perfect peace in the land if they were to do this they would enjoy pure fellowship with God and a communion so sweet that it would be a blessing to all who saw and they would say who is who is their God they must have the most awesome God in the universe Uh, To give you an example of what I'm talking about, Deuteronomy 6.18, for instance, says, And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Again, Deuteronomy 12.2-4 says, You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess serve their gods, on the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. I've selected some of these verses from Deuteronomy uh, because you see very clearly a repetition of some of the words that we saw in the first eight verses of 2 Chronicles. Uh, The author there is... Purposely penning these things in so that you understand that what's happening here is Israel turning to God in obedience. They've, they've been in the land for a while. They've actually risen to the height of uh, Israel's uh, glory um, under King David and his son, King Solomon. And then if you know the Old Testament storyline, you know that after Solomon and the, the, the splendor of the kingdom of Israel on full display... Uh, you have a, a decline. And with, with Solomon's son, Rehoboam, there's a fracturing of the kingdom and, and King Jeroboam goes and leads the northern kingdom and Rehoboam is in the south and they're uh, constantly at each other's heels and there's uh, rival worship set up and, and uh, we see for the rest of Israel's history while they're in the land, they're actually uh, split into these two factions. And so when Asa comes and it said in, in uh chapter, or verse one of our chapter that we're in in 2 Chronicles, it says that Abijah slept with his fathers. That's, that's Asa's father. He was a king. He wasn't as good of a king as Asa. But Abijah slept with his fathers, and Asa reigned in his place. So we had a new, a new king in place, a chance for reform. And that's what we see. We see reform taking place. So again, Deuteronomy 11:22 through 24, I want to read this because it really ties obedience the people's obedience to Yahweh and to his word, to their success and national prosperity. That's very much how the Mosaic covenant worked. It was a conditional covenant um, in which Israel, if they were to follow the rules and the commandments that God gave them, they would experience peace in the land specifically. So Deuteronomy 11.22 says, if you will be careful to do all this commandment that I command you to do, loving the Lord your God, walking in all his ways and holding fast to him, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you and you will dispossess nations greater and mightier than you. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your territory shall be from the wilderness to the Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates to the Western Sea. So God has made it very clear to Israel, if you want to live in the promised land that I promised to your fathers that that I'm gonna send you into after bringing them out of Egypt, all you have to do is obey my commandments and seek me with all your heart. And we see that there are ups and downs as Israel uh, goes through this throughout their history. If if you know the the period of the judges, it was a very dark time. It was a time when there was no king in Israel and the people kind of did whatever they wanted and uh, very few people actually uh, obeyed Yahweh. But then we have ups and downs through the period of the kings where sometimes the people seek him and it seems like we're getting really good and then uh, things come crashing down. But I think, I think we can borrow a word or, or a phrase that's actually repeated throughout this section of Second Chronicles to sort of summarize the main charge of the king and the main charge of the nation as a whole. And that is to seek the Lord. We see that in verse four. Uh, Asa commanded Judah to seek the Lord. And then in verse seven, he also said, the land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him and he has given us peace on every side. And then the prophets, when they come to Israel, uh, later in history will actually encourage the same thing. Jeremiah 29:13 says, You will seek me and, you will f- and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. That's actually in the future looking forward to a time when God will restore Israel to the land when they have repented and turned to him. So here we are reminded in these verses that the Lord wants us to seek his will in everything we do. This requires that, like Asa, uh, we need to know what God has said in his word. That's why we we place a a firm priority on preaching the word in this church. And not only that, we we need to know what it says, but we also need to put it into action. Okay? So you might not be the king of Israel. You might not be uh, in the covenant nation, per se, and have the same relationship to the Mosaic law. But... God still has a role and purpose for your life. As Christians, God has called us to be model citizens, okay? Uh, faithful even in the mundane things like going to work in the morning because uh, we're, we're supposed to be lights to a fallen world, right? First uh, Peter 2.12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Not only as individual Christians, but uh, even as the church. I think uh, the church should have a place in the public sphere uh, where we're seeking the welfare of the country by encouraging a return to the Lord in His ways, right? Not a, a, a drift in society where we disregard the Lord and become totally humanistic and focused on uh, you know a, a accomplishing our progressive dreams, right? No, it's we want to encourage our society as a whole to turn to the Lord that we may experience His, His blood Blessing as well. And then finally, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, he has a role and a purpose for you too. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, uh, there is always time for you to turn and seek the Lord as Israel was called to. Psalm 145.18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. We must seek the Lord. Let's continue in 2 Chronicles 14 and verse nine. It says, Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Marashah. And Asa went out to meet him and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephathah at Marashah. And Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you and in your name, we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army." The men of Judah carried away very much spoil, and they attacked all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord was upon them. They plundered all the cities, for there was much plunder in them, and they struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. So here we see an example of how Asa responded to a challenge. And this is gonna be the second principle that we're gonna emulate. I'm gonna give it to you right now. He depended entirely on the Lord when a challenge arose. He depended entirely on the Lord when a challenge arose. So as we had seen in verse eight, King Asa did have a formidable army. He had, uh, it says 300,000 men men from Judah and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. Okay, so that's like 500,000 or so. But then in verse nine it says that Zerah the Ethiopian, the foe who arose against him, had a million men. Okay, so at least twice as many. Uh, Not only that, 300 chariots and came as far as Marashah. So this is an army that comes against the people of Israel, the people who bear Yahweh's name, And they're rising in opposition to them. And they clearly could overpower them and should overpower them and ought to. And what do we do when we face overwhelming circumstances in our life? Well, hopefully, like Asa, we do what we should. We turn to Yahweh, who is the only one who can help us. Look at what he says in verse 11. I want to break apart these words. Verse 11, Asa cried to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. He's saying there is is no one who can make a difference in this battle. We are the weak ones versus the mighty that we're going up against. There is no one to help except for you alone, Yahweh. And he says, help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. This is exactly what you're supposed to do if you're in Israel at this time. And in your name, we have come against this multitude. And then I love this. He says, oh Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. He's not saying, let not us be destroyed. You know, let not the Ethiopians uh, come and, and destroy us and our fortunes. No, it's let not man prevail against you. Let not the Ethiopians prevail against you because that is who is being attacked right now. If these people are following God and Yahweh is their Lord, they are not just attacking Anybody. They're attacking Yahweh of hosts. Uh, His his prayer exemplifies faith in Yahweh. And what's the result? We actually see a result, a one for one relationship of reliance on the Lord and uh, the Lord delivering them in stunning fashion. We see that uh, Asa and uh, Judah chase out the Ethiopians, and they flee, and there's nowhere for them to go. They're uh, stricken down, and verse 13 actually says that they were broken before the Lord and his army, and this reminds me that uh, one of Yahweh's names is Yahweh Sabaot, uh, Yahweh Lord of hosts. So uh, this is not just the Lord and his army which is Israel. No, this is, this is Yahweh who reigns over myriads of angels and he can effect supernatural victory and he often did for Israel. Uh, we saw that with, uh, with Egypt as, as the Lord brought uh, Israel out of Egypt and um, drowned the Egyptians in the, in the Red Sea. Right, the Lord is the only one who is powerful enough to deliver people when they are in such a dire situation, and I wish that we would exemplify this kind of faith when challenges arose in our lives. You know, there's a funny thing that takes place uh, in this country when uh, when circumstances become out of our control and things get really dire. Uh, There's there's this weird situation where, where sometimes people become almost superstitious and, and supernatural, and I'm not, I'm not saying that superstitious, this example I'm about to give, but uh, this year, or this week, there was um, a, a moment on ESPN, uh, you know, a, a sports news site that you would never expect uh, to see something like this happen. Uh, one of the reporters actually prayed on air. He actually he actually took, took the time to just stop and said, I'm just gonna do this right now, I'm gonna pray. He was praying for Damar Hamlin, who uh, plays for the Buffalo Bills. And if you are into NFL, if you watch, you may have heard about this already. Um, but he suffered cardiac arrest on the field and uh, was carted off and everybody, it was, it was a big hubbub and everybody um, you know watching was, was very concerned for him, as you know I, I think we should be. But this reporter on ESPN just stopped and prayed on live TV, right? And of course, you know, it's funny if you think about it, because when uh, a high school coach prays on the field, it's like the, the cardinal sin, right, in our society or whatever. But there, there are times, what I'm saying is there's times when even our secular culture knows that uh, we need to offer up prayer, you know, it might be kind of faithless, it might just kind of be like, let's, let's pray to whatever deity will listen, um, but how much more, here's, here's the point, how much more ought we as Christians uh, be the kind of people who turn to the Lord in our distress? What about as a church? Uh, Are are we committed to prayer? When a crisis arises in in our church, will we attack it with meetings and plans that are devoid of spirituality or will we turn to the Lord in prayer and dependence and actually make that first because the Lord is the only one who can get us out of it? What do you do when you face temptation as a believer? As we all will this week, even this day. When, when you're, you're faced with your flesh, when the odds seem overpowering against your human weakness, maybe it's a desire for something you shouldn't have, or maybe it's a relationship that brings you anxiety and bitterness, uh, do you reach out to the one who's able to sympathize with us in all our weakness? Or do you go it alone? Uh, think about this parents. As you look at our uh, our culture decaying around us, when you look at the course and you see all this stuff coming down the pipeline, um, you know, ideologies and things that, you, that your kids are going to be faced with as they grow up, do you commit your, your children to the Lord's hands with the kind of faith that Asa and Israel would commit to the Lord? The Asa of incredible success encourage us to cry, cry out to the Lord when we are stretched thin. That's just the bottom line. Let's continue in in 2 Chronicles 15 now. It says, The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time, Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him, he was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you, take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage. And I'm stopping right there. So Azariah, this, this spirit-empowered prophet that comes to the king at this time, calls for courage to obey the Lord when surrounded by a decaying, idolatrous culture. And, and this gives us the third Uh, principle that we are to emulate. So, King Asa listened and responded to the admonition of the Lord. He listened and responded to the admonition of the Lord. So, let's talk a little bit about the content of Azariah's admonition. Well, uh, for one, he appeals to the covenant uh, that Yahweh had with his people and his king. He says, hear me, Asa and all Judah, Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you forsake him, he will forsake you. This is not just something that Azariah is coming up with uh, on the spur of the moment. This is something that would actually reflect um, words that have been said before. And whenever words are said before and there's a, a tie between it, you should look at that and see what the significance of. Well, I'll give you, I'll give you a verse right now. First Chronicles 28, 9. You can turn there if you want, uh, but I'll read it for you right now. This is uh, David's charge to Solomon, and this is very much based on what David knows about his relationship to Yahweh and the promise that God has made to David. David says, And you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. And there's this interesting special relationship that the king of Israel has uh, to the people as a whole and to the Mosaic law. Just as I explained to you that the Mosaic law was one that if they obeyed it, they'd experience prosperity and success in the land. Uh, as it goes with the people, so it goes with the king. Or actually, I should say the other way around. As it goes with the king, so it goes with the people. The king is sort of the corporate head of the whole. And we see many examples throughout First and Second Kings and Chronicles where if the king is faithful to Yahweh, uh, there's blessing for the nation. If the king turns his back on Yahweh, well, the nation also suffers under that. And this example of David telling his son Solomon, If you seek the Lord, he will be with you, he'll be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will cast you off forever. Uh, That's an example of what we're talking about. So Azariah appeals to the covenant with Israel. He also appeals to Israel's experience. It says, For a long time, Israel was without true God and without a teaching priest and without law. And He seems to describe this this time period in Israel, but it's a little fuzzy, it's not clear when this time is. And uh, if you look at the commentators, it's a little fuzzy in the commentators too, because nobody really knows what what time period he's talking about. And I actually think, based on the Hebrew itself, uh, it's meant to be a little bit ambiguous. Um, I think it's a little bit more like, um, you know, if if you're given a great campaign speech for uh, somebody who you want to be the next president, you might stand up and say, you know, in this country, there was a time when we didn't have a great leader uh, like so-and-so who's going to rise up and deliver us out of our troubles, right? And that might conjure up in people's minds uh, many different times in history. It might uh, bring up the, the present time, for instance, or it might remind you of the, the time just before the Civil War or something like that. I think that's what Azariah is doing. I think he's, he's sort of leaving it ambiguous and just reminding us of the pattern that we see in Israel's history where when they forsake Yahweh, they do not experience his blessing, but when they do seek him wholeheartedly, they prosper and they thrive. So Azariah appeals to all these things, and then he calls for courage. And look at what he says in verse 7, because I think this idiom is pretty interesting. I don't completely understand it, to be honest, but I've seen it uh, in various places as I've studied the Old Testament. But it says, you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak. You might be wondering, what, what, what does that mean? Do not let your hands be weak. Um, We see this, it's it's an idiom that's used also in uh, 2 Samuel 4, verse 1, that when the king heard some news, uh, his hands became weak, right? And I think the translation in English, in our English Bibles, is about as good as we're going to get as understanding what this idiom really means. I think it's, um, you know, imagine imagine a a soldier standing there with a sword about to go into battle. Who do you think is going to have more success? The one that's like looking strong and going in, or the one who's like starting to shake a little bit, right? The sword isn't going to go exactly where it needs to go. Or if you think about somebody going to, to the plow to plow a field, right? He needs to have strong hands. He can't just have weak, limp hands that aren't ready to go, right? And if we're going to, if somebody's going to uh, not have courage and strength in the face of adversity, they're, uh, they're going to tremble, they're going to be weak, they're not going to be ready to take up the reign, as it were. And so it might, it might be something kind of like saying, take heart, Take heart. Have courage. And this is something that Asa would very much need to hear in a society that's surrounded by paganism and idolatry. It's something that we need to hear as we're surrounded by a society that is not going the way of Yahweh, as we know. But look at what Asa did in response in verse 8. As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Oded, he took courage he took courage. So how do we respond, this is my question for us, how do we respond when others confront us with truth? I think that the more we like the truth, the more we agree with it, the more likely we'll probably be to want to embrace it. And the more the truth hurts, the more likely we may want to be to disregard it. Or you might say it this way, the, the, the harder it is to implement the truth, Uh, the less likelihood that we'll be enthusiastic to wholeheartedly embrace what it's saying. So Proverbs 17.10 is one of my favorite Proverbs. It says that a rebuke cuts deeper into a man of understanding than a thousand blows into a fool. How do we respond when confronted by those who are around us, who know us, who bring us the truth I, I think of husbands, right? I'm a husband. Um, are you willing to hear from the person who knows you best? When the Lord brings loving correction through your wife, are you willing to listen? Uh, as a church, you know, how do we respond to the word of God, the perfect word of God, as it's taught by our elders, by our main teaching pastor, Pastor Josh. And then here, here's an interesting one. What about at work? I used to work in the secular world, and I know this can be a touchy subject for some of us, especially when you're confronted by a Christian, uh, as a Christian, by someone that may not be a Christian, and you, you might regard them as further away from God than you. Um, but I know that, that there were some times in my life where my colleagues used to bring to my attention my own shortcomings, and uh, that hurts sometimes, right? But I think the Lord reminded me through them, and it you know, it happened often, but sometimes it didn't. Uh, but the Lord reminded me to respond with humility, listen to the truth, and oftentimes that was meant for my good. And I think we see that in Asa. I think we see him responding to this admonition of Azariah. And of course, he probably had more motivation because it's right after a great battle and great victory, and he'd, he'd probably be going, yes, whatever you say, because You know, you're on the Lord's side, we're going to do it. But it's just a reminder for us, right? We need to listen and respond to the admonition of the Lord. And then, finally, we see, as we're looking at the King Asa of incredible success, we see uh, the fourth principle that I'm going to give you. He took bold and decisive action in faithfulness to Yahweh. So let's read the next verses. I'm actually going to pick it up halfway through verse 8. It says that he put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing with them. For great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. They sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But that whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, should be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. They swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and with horns and all Judah rejoiced over the oath. For they had sworn with all their heart and had sought him with their whole desire and he was found by them and the Lord gave them rest all around. Even Mekah, his mother, King Asa removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her her image, crushed it and burned it at the brook Kidron. But the high places were not taken out of Israel. Nevertheless, the heart of Asa was wholly true all his days. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. And there was no more war until the 35th year of the reign of Asa. And so what we see is that Asa took bold and decisive action in faithfulness to Yahweh. And let me tell you something. His actions were sure to offend people. He, uh, we're talking about uh, crushing and destroying uh, people's uh, objects of worship, their sacred traditions. Um, He, it even says that he uh, rebuilt the altar of the Lord. We're talking about the central sanctuary or the temple. This had already been a point of contention with the Northern kingdom. Um, He removed, get this, he removed his own grandmother. And I know it says mother, but uh, that's just the way the Hebrew works sometimes in the Old Testament. Uh, His mother Mekah, or his grandmother rather, he, he removed her from being queen. He took away her influence uh, because she had set up a detestable image. She had set up um, an idolatrous practice herself. How's that for like offending you know, your loved ones or whatever? So against what you might think, uh, based on the methods that the American church has employed uh, for many years and what you might uh, expect to be the case, uh, Asa's offensive actions actually increased his influence. They increased his influence. We, we saw that um, in verse nine, it said that great numbers had deserted to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. And I think that should be a lesson for us as a church, should it not? Um, especially in the midst of an increasingly secular society. You know, do you care about church growth? Do you want our church to, to, to grow strong? Um, as Five Points becomes more secular, well, how about we become more countercultural and more in line with what God's word says? People from Ephraim, Manasseh, Simeon, we're talking about people from the northern fractured kingdom are coming back to Judah because Judah is following God. We see in verse 18 that that Asa committed his resources to the Lord. He brought into the house of his God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. He didn't rely on his riches, much more he gave them to Yahweh, put them in the temple treasury. And I wish that I could just end my sermon now, and you probably do too, because you're probably getting hungry. I wish I could just end it right now and say, that's it, go be like Asa. But we got to get through chapter 16 and we're going to do it. We're going to do it real fast. We're going to look at the King Asa of insufferable decline. So read with me in, verse, in chapter 16. It says, In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Baasha, king of Israel, went up against Judah. That's the northern kingdom, the, the ancient rival. Went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben hadad king of Syria. And I'll stop right there. Cause I think this is significant and, and maybe it was intentional, uh, but it certainly is blaring to me when I look at it. Um, as we look at the, the king Asa of insufferable decline, you might give it this heading. It might say he he didn't seek the Lord, he didn't seek the Lord's will when a challenge arose. This is a, a reverse of the first point that I gave you. I notice when I look at verse two that there is a uh, deafening, you might say, or at least a conspicuous absence of Asa's standard of turning to the Lord when trouble arises. Okay, so we have an enemy on the northern border. Uh, you might think of it, as, at least in terms of the depths of significance, you might have think in, in 2021, you know, Vladimir Putin started amassing forces uh, on the, the Ukraine of border, or the, the border of Ukraine. And uh, people who were looking knew something was about to go down. And in 22, we actually saw it go down, right? This is, this is Asa looking at his border and going, okay, something's about to go down. And what does he do? We don't, we don't see any turning to the Lord. We actually see um, almost like at the peak of the mountain where he put the money into the Lord's house. Now on the way down the mountain, we actually see he takes the silver out of the house. And where does he put it? Well, it says he sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, "There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Baasha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me." And Benhadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Eon, Dan, Abel Abelmaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Baasha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah, and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and his timber with which Basha had been building. And with them, he built Geba and Mizpah. So here we see the second thing that happened in uh, Asa's decline. We see that he refused, or no, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. Uh, he trusted in the strength of man instead of, and even opposed to the Lord. So in place of prayer to Yahweh, we saw when he was facing the Ethiopians, he, he cried out to the Lord. We don't see any, any prayer in this instance. Uh, we see that he took the, the treasure out of the temple to enlist help from a foreign army, the king of Syria. The question is, where, where is Asa's faith, right? You should be reading. That, that's what you should be thinking as you read this. Where did his faith go? It seems to have completely abandoned him. And that also forces us to think, what areas of weakness... Do, do you have in your own life where you 're particularly vulnerable that cause you to lose sight of the Lord and forget to seek his assistance um, i I was a runner in college, and uh, that helped me learn a lot about myself um, because i 'm very competitive and i 'm also uh, sometimes I can just get stuck in my head and and uh, really overthink things and One of of my greatest coaches just helped me learn how to just turn off my brain when I run and just run the way God made me to run, (laughs) okay? And uh, I would always find whenever I'd overthink a race, uh, I would underperform. But when I was able to just rely on the strength that the Lord has given me and uh, go out there and um, not overthink everything, just kind of turn off my brain for a moment... Well, that's when I had the most success. Okay, so that, that helped me discover a weakness in my life, which is I overthink things sometimes. And I, I think it's helpful for us to think, just to be aware, because there, we will face challenges sometimes, and there will be times where we forget to turn to the Lord in faith. What are your weaknesses? What are your spots where you're vulnerable? And there may even be a test this week where the Lord is trying to show you that. We got to keep moving. So Second Chronicles 16, verse 7. It says, at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in the stocks in prison for he was in a rage with him because of this and Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the peoples at the same time and you're going Asa Asa where where is this coming from we you were the man of faith you trusted in the Lord here we see the third point of his decline he refused to accept the Lord's admonition and rebuke So the Lord sends another prophet, just like he sent Azariah before. And this prophet points out and and draws an obvious connection. Remember remember the Ethiopians? Remember that a million man army? They were much stronger than you. And you turned to the Lord and relied on him and he gave them into your hand. And I, I love verse nine. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro on the whole earth, To give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. Did you know that the Lord wants to give help and aid to those who rely on him? Isn't that amazing to think about? Isn't it also amazing to think about that there's probably not that many people if the Lord has to go searching for them? (laughs) Asa's response is to attack the messenger. And And we know when you attack a messenger, you're not actually attacking the messenger. You're attacking the message and actually the one who gave the message, which is God. Asa's trying to act out against the Lord, really, here. And his hard heart caused him to even lash out against his own people. Oof. Let's keep reading in verse 11. The acts of Asa, and this is sort of uh, the, you might say, the summary of his life. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet and his disease became severe. Yet, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. And that's, that's sad. I know that's not going to go on his epitaph, right? They're going to they're focus on, on the good things that he did, and they should. But it's instructive for us to get to the end of Asa's life and to see that it ended, oh, it just crumbled, and it makes you kind of hurt inside a little bit. Because Asa, the, the fourth thing he did in his decline, he, he persisted in faithless disobedience. We see that the, he had a, a disease in his feet. I don't know what it was. Maybe it was gangrene or something like that and without the uh, advance of modern medicine, although I don't know if modern medicine really was saved him, his disease became severe, and he still refused to turn to the Lord. It says even his disease, he didn't seek the Lord, but he sought help from physicians. You're going, where, where is your faith? Why are you turning to these, these people who might be able to help somebody, but, but really your problem is with the Lord? Just turn to the Lord. He'll help you. And that's how it ended for Asa. Death is certain to come for him and it's certain to come for us, right? It's it's, it's gonna come on all of us. But will we be driven to the grave by our stubbornness or will we pass into glory with a fire of faithfulness? That's the question. I know I gotta end now, so I'm just gonna do it. But uh, let me just say this. Let us adopt the model of Asa of incredible success. That is is the recipe for being faithful to the Lord. And let us in this way guarantee our fruitfulness for his kingdom, no matter what challenges or opportunities await us in 2023. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. Uh, we thank you that you have uh, given us in your word um, everything that we need to live lives of godliness, of Godliness, to live lives that are productive for your glory. And I pray now as as we stand on the precipice of another year and as this church prepares uh, for the challenges and the opportunities that await us, Lord, that you would cause us to be faithful, help us to seek your face, to seek you in everything we do. And Lord, even if we do face those challenges and even if you use situations in our life to refine us and to grow us, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to rely on you 100%. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Hunter Hayes, Associate Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information and free access to other messages, go to ebcralheigh.com. That's E-B-C-R-A-L-E-I-G-H dot com.